Peace of Christ be with you. Oh, don't sit down. Stand up. Share the peace of Christ with those around you. Greet each other in the name of Jesus. Yes. I can still remember the feeling, you know, like it was yesterday. I was four years old, and it was my first time in a real-life movie theater. My mom took me. I had my little four-year-old hand in her hand, and it felt like the biggest deal in the world. She took me inside this, seemed like a huge building. Kind of, it felt like walking inside of Dimnit Chapel. We found our seats. They were red, kind of velvety plush. It was a special day. She bought me my first tub of popcorn and got the extra butter. You know that smell? I can still smell that smell, and I can still remember the feeling of what it was like to walk with my little four-year-old hand and my mom's hand, finding our seat in that red velvet chair. I didn't quite know what to expect. I was only four. It was my first time at a theater. The lights are, people are kind of buzzing, then all of a sudden the lights went dim, and it got eerily quiet. And suddenly sound filled the space and this large yellow logo, Star Wars, filled the screen. And the, and the music just amped up and it, it, it felt like it, like it filled the whole cosmos. And then the logo began to move, fading into the stars with the words moving behind them. You, you grew up with Star Wars, so it's not a big deal to you, but back in 1977... 1977. It was a big deal. That big logo, the fading into it. And even as a four-year-old, I was captivated from the first. That feeling of getting pulled in. Suddenly, I was inside of a larger world and I would later find out that it was a new kind of narrative called an epic. It was a story of good and evil where there were heroes and villains, heroes like Luke and Leia, Chewbacca, R2-D2, Han Solo, villains like Vader. It was the first that would launch a whole franchise, but even as a four-year-old, I was in from the first I loved it. There was this idea that there were consequences of one's decisions that had outcomes for the entire universe. Even at age four, I knew something was happening inside of me. I was being pulled into another reality, a new world, and that I would never see everything the same again. Such is the power of an epic. We need epic stories. For our lives are the outworkings of the stories that we choose. Or maybe more precisely, our lives are the outworkings of the stories that choose us. I remember walking out of the theater, my hand in my mom's hand, the big tub of popcorn was gone. And I remember the walking outside of the darkness into the bright yellow light or bright white light of the afternoon, it was a matinee, which is still one of my favorite guilty pleasures in the world. Steal away, go to a movie in the middle of the afternoon. 
I walked out of the dark and into the light with a sense that I was still living inside of this reality because I was still living in this other universe. The story was in me, Star Wars. And it made me feel larger, more significant. Years later, I would plead to my mom and dad to let me change my name to Luke. (laughs) They did not let me. So I am Trig, Trig V, son of David. Such is the power of an epic. You find your place inside of the story and you want to take on one of the character's attributes. One of, you want to find yourself being in that high stakes game where the actions of a few good people can stand against an evil empire to be part of something larger than yourself. I still love that feeling, you know? That feeling of being pulled in to this story that's large, that's cosmic. It has consequences. It's why I think I became a Christian. Because when I open up the book we love and the Gospels, and I see Jesus, I'm pulled into a large, large story of God. When I became a Christian, it was a conversion Not so much about me confronting sin in my life, I was a little one, but it was more of a feeling of being drawn into something that was expansive, something that had meaning, something that had purpose. When I became a Christian, it was an invitation of entering into a world that felt more real than the world that I was on at the playground. Or maybe it was a world that let the playground be reinterpreted of what I was supposed to be there. The gospel, the story of God and Jesus Christ coming to us gave me permission to see the world filled with glory and with grandeur. I don't know if there's ever been a better time for us to recapture that feeling. We need this epic feeling, or a feeling inspired by an epic more than ever. Charles Taylor, one of the world's preeminent moral theologians, and in the book, The Secular Age, suggests that one of the signs of our cultural moment, the secular age, he writes, is a sense of disenchantment. Do you ever feel that? The world is flat. There's no more mysteries to articulate or discover. Everything's just cause, effect. There's no supernatural, there's no more God. In the secular age, his book traces the intellectual story of a world where belief in God was universal and unproblematic to a world where belief in God is no longer necessary and indeed not the easiest to embrace. That's your world. Belief in God, I know, is not the easiest to embrace. The culture of secularism is one where there's no sense of wonder anymore because there's no sense of God to wonder about. There's no transcendence. And when there's no transcendence, this leads to a spirit of disenchantment because without transcendence, we're just locked inside of our own experience again and again. And the only meaning there is is the meaning we give ourselves. But when you have a story, an epic that pulls you in, it pulls you outside of the cul-de-sac of your own experience and unlocks you to explore that wide open country of exploration 
Epics do that. Even as a four-year-old, Star Wars did that for me. And a few years later, when I entered in the gospel, so did Jesus. And the good news is we have an epic story that gives our lives meaning. Charles Taylor writes, there is a widespread sense of loss here, not always of God, but of meaning. And that is what the church offers the world. That is what Jesus Christ offers you. It offers you a life of meaning. We have a story that gives our lives a sustainable shape, a particular character, a ch- uh, identity, a belonging and purpose that's charged with meaning. This story that we've been given is more of an epic than Homer or Star Wars or any of all the others. It's a story that has chosen us. We did not choose it. I want to explore that epic story with you this, with you this semester. I want to explore together the story of God who comes and enters into time and space, who is light, who is life, who comes and overwhelms the darkness and the darkness can overcome it. It's a story with a hero who comes to save the world. It is a story that involves you if only you will believe it to be true. Believe it in such a way that it metabolizes into acts of love and cups of cold water in healing and evangelism into all the world. We have a story. Well, how should we describe this story? How do we say it in a way that is meaningful and compact? What is the story? Well, I don't know if there's a better place to begin than the prologue of John, John 1, 1 through 18. To begin this semester, we're going we're gonna to walk through this prologue story slowly, and I'll get to that in a minute. But to get a sense of this, I want to just ask PC to dim the lights and see the story, maybe in a new angle. I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not. (laughs) But I had a lot of fun making that. That that was good. Um, You might have, it, it, it ran really fast. But the prologue of John is this introduction, John 1, 1 through 18, the beginning of this gospel. The gospel is the epic story. And this was the kind of opening salve that kind of introduces all of the chapters. If you couldn't If you couldn't read real fast because it was scrolling kind of quick, I want to invite you just to hear this, just to hear this, just to hear the word of the Lord. John 1, 1 through 18, the prologue. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing has come into being. And what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's the prologue this opening to this great epic story that John tells of this man named Jesus. And I love, love, I'm using the word love. I love the prologue. It's one of my favorite scriptures. If I was to have only one passage of scripture to preach my entire life, I think it would be John's prologue. When I'm inside of the prologue, I have that feeling sometimes like I did when I was four years old inside of a theater where all of a sudden I got drawn into this larger world, this larger universe. Suddenly in these short verses, I find myself in an expansive universe where my little life is pulled into a cosmic confrontation. Will I be on the side of the empire or will I be a minority fighting the good fight in the resistance? When I start to feel like the experience of Christianity at least as a culture, is too confining or too conditioned culturally or drawn too emotionally narrow, when faith feels predictably dull and lulls me into a deep sleep, I read the prologue and it shakes me awake. In its words, I arise alert to a new day with God who speaks, who surprises, and who shows up to draw me into a larger world where I can never return the same. The prologue is a key that unlocks us from the presumed world where we often feel caged so that we might be released to explore the expansive geography of the kingdom of God, whose landscape is filled with wonder and whose narrow path leads farther up and further into the high country of the Trinity where the air is thin but the glory is thick. Augustine in the City of God writes, the beginning of this, John's gospel, ought to be copied in letters of gold and placed in the most conspicuous place in every church. Theologian Dale Bruner agrees, saying, one feels on holy ground when entering in the prologue of the gospel. Leslie Newbegin suggests that we think of the prologue as an overture to John's gospel symphony, introducing the major themes he develops, life and identity, light and darkness, truth and glory, salvation, doubt, atonement, knowledge of God. There are 18 verses in the prologue and 18 verses that pull us into a larger world of consequence and meaning. And that's what I want to invite you to explore with me this semester. Tonight's just merely an introduction 
to where we're going to be kind of unpacking for, for the rest of the winter and into the spring. It's been said that if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and, and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. What I want to invite you into is to explore a text that could give you an endless immensity of love for God. You see, I have an agenda. I have a prayer, maybe, is a better way to say it. I want something to happen to you. I pray that something will happen to you. I pray that God will reshape your imagination to see the real world. So much of our world right now is distorting your imagination to reduce you to merely instincts to be a commodity, a cog in a, a system that just wants you to buy more things. There's never been a generation that's been studied more than you, and they're studying you so that they will package things, market you things, so that you will buy what they want you to buy. But you're more than that. You're called into a deeper world, a more a world charged with the grandeur and glory of God. And this God is real and is alive and is calling you into something significant. He wants you to join the resistance movement. It's called the church. It's called the people of God. It's called followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And though the way be narrow, it leads in to the most interesting places in the world. I want you to see reality afresh. I want you to begin to find that narrow path. And though it be hard, I want you to walk, not alone, but together in it. I want you to long for that open sea. I want you to see and know and taste that God is real to see a God who shows up in your life, a God you can trust in the hardest moments because those moments will come, a God who will give you a new life, a new birth, a God who will be light even in the darkest moments because he promises, he promises that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot ever overcome it. I want something to happen to you I want God to reshape your imagination. But how will we do that? Well, I have a plan. One of my leadership principles on our campus ministries team is plan beats no plan. I usually walk in with a plan. Now, you can change my mind if you have a better plan. If you've got a better plan than my plan, your plan wins. But if I have a plan and you don't like my plan and you're just snarky at my plan, you lose. Plan beats no plan, right? I'm not after my plan, I'm after a plan, the best plan. Plan beats no plan. So at the very beginning of the semester, I wanna tell you my plan of how I wanna reshape your imagination. Okay, sound fair? Now you can push back on me, and if you've got a better plan, I wanna hear it. But if not, my plan wins. <laughs> plan beats no plan. Uh, here's my plan, I wanna introduce you to, to, to things I want you to learn things and I want you to practice something. I want to introduce, I want you to learn, and I want you to practice. This is my plan. Introduce. Here's my plan. 
I want to introduce you to what I call iconic texts. Now, to be sure, all scripture in the Bible is God-breathed. But there are some scriptures that aren't just like breath, but feel more like a hurricane. That's what I call an iconic text. Genesis 1 through 3, Psalm 23, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Last semester, we stayed just in Revelations 5, 5 and 6. Yes, that iconic vision of worship, picture of what's happening. What I'm trying to do systematically is introduce you to texts that you will know deeply, you will be familiar with, because there are some texts that are like a lens that allow us to see the whole story of God that's going on. And that's what I want to invite you. I want to introduce you into some of these texts. That's why we're going to be in the prologue, because the prologue is one of those texts that I would describe as iconic. It's a text that allows us to see the whole sweep of God's history and salvation. It's a text that allows us to reinterpret the Bible as we're reading the Bible. So I want to introduce you to a text that I think can be life-transforming. But as I introduce you to the text, I want you to learn something. I want you to learn, as I like to say, that the scripture is a bush that burns and is never consumed. I want you to learn that you cannot exhaust the meaning of scripture. And because of that, the scripture is something that will always give our lives meaning. We can keep coming back, in other words, to the same text again and again and again and begin to see new things, discover deeper portals of understanding, find new relational insights with God. As Karl Barth once said, we are always and ever beginners with God. The most important things, my friends, we do over and over and over again. Every day I tell Ella, my seven-year-old daughter, I love you. Every day I say to Trigvi, what's your name? And he says, I am Trigvi, son of Trigvi. <laughs> son of David, son of Louis, son of John, and that's as far as I know. <laughs> Every day I, I give Kristen a kiss and say, I love you. And she says, I love me. It's not that every day we're on a romantic marriage mountaintop, but these little things these little things hold us together again and again and again. The most important things we do over and over. And I want, you, I want you to learn that going back to the Bible again and again and again may just be the means that can hold your life together. And so each week we're going to come back to this text in John. And I want you to know why we're doing that. Because I want you to learn that the scripture is not something we're supposed to hustle through. The Christian life is not lived on adrenaline. It's patient, like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose life never withers, and in all that we do, we prosper. And so to help us to do that, I want you to practice something with me. I want to invite you into that this semester. I want, you, I want to invite you into the practice of internalization. It is January 19th my mom's birthday, by the way. 
It's January 19th. We are going to be in this all the way up until the end of April. By that time, it's my hope, if you stay with me, that this will be a text, the prologue of John, that you can say by heart. That you can internalize it in you. I want these 18 verses to be grooved into your soul like the best music pressed into vinyl. Every single day, at any time, at any place, wherever you go, I want you to be able to put the needle of the on your soul and be able to spin that disc and be able to recite, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing has come into being, and what has come into being in him was life, and the life, the life, the life was the light that, that filled the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, and on it goes. Would you go on that journey with me? Would you, be, would you be willing to, each week we're just gonna break it down, I'm gonna teach you as we go, but just to internalize that. Slowing down is the proper way to read scripture. But we're taught, particularly in the academy, to read fast, to skim, to mine the information, to harvest the kernel for data, to apply it and to move on. But what if the Bible is read not so that you know more, but that you become more? What if the Bible is not about trying to pour more information into your brains, but rather to draw you into a world in which you can never return, a world where you have a new personal relationship with a living God, a God who speaks to you, who rebukes you, who challenges you, who corrects you, who forgives you. And that requires a slow cooker, a long burn, it requires patience. We're gonna, slow, we're gonna slow down by internalizing the text together. Each week we'll learn a new part of the scripture together. Next week we'll be in John, John 1 through 2. Anyone who takes up this challenge of memorizing this with me and who's willing to recite it to me, maybe recite it up here, gets a free pizza dinner by the end of the year. Paul threw out a challenge for Philippians 2. If you can do it and you're willing to come up here, maybe it's a lunch, maybe it's a steak dinner. We'll figure it out. But if you can, if you can eat this book with me, I think you should be fed some other food. So I want you to go with me. I want, I want to introduce you to this iconic text, the prologue of John. I want you to learn that as we enter into this text, the Bible's gonna again and again, week in, week out, continue to reveal truths about who God is. And I wanna practice that by internalizing the scripture together. The prologue is telling us a story. But unlike George Lucas's Star Wars, this story is true. This story happened in history, in time. This is, ours is a history where God took on flesh and entered into time and space. This is a story of a God who gave his life on a cross so that you might have life. This is a God who death itself could not contain him in the darkness. But darkness had to give way to light as new life was breathed into this dead body and Jesus walked out of that tomb and declared to everyone with ears that can hear, peace be with you. This is a story of a living God. This is a story of a God who is alive right now, 
who's at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, on your behalf. The story is true. It launches us into the immensity of a world of meaning. This is a story that gives us a new identity, a new belonging, and a new purpose. It is the story of Jesus Christ, who is the subject and object, who is the hero of the story. And he, Jesus, this word made flesh, is the cure to a culture of disenchantment. The prologue is an iconic text that may, if we are open to it, give us a love for the sea, a love that would allow us to build our lives to explore the expansive geography of the ocean of grace. And if you hang with me, with us, you will begin to have a different imagination. You see, I'm less interested in preaching morals at you. You can get morals in lots of places. What's right and what's wrong, and my friends, there is a right and a wrong. I'm not saying that's not important. Morals are important, but morals are not the gospel. Morals cannot save you. What I want to invite you to see is a world charged with a God who saves. His grandeur, his glory, a world where God shows up for such a world as not only worth dying for, it is a, worth, it is a world worth living for. I want to give you a God-saturated, spirit-blown, father-glorifying reality as you leave Hope College. I don't want you merely to take with you a diploma, though I do want that for you. And so do your parents. But more importantly, I want you to take with you a heart and a mind that is participating every single day in the kingdom of God so that wherever God takes you, Whatever God calls you to, whatever vocation, whatever relationship you are in, you will know who you are, and more importantly, whose you are. I want you to be immersed in this reality of God, because to be immersed in that reality is what we might call hope, and that hope is exactly what the world needs right now. You are invited to explore this hope with me. So, seven o'clock on Sunday nights, come, bring a friend. Bring a friend's friend's brother's cousin. <laughs> Be here and enter into this and learn this text and what it can teach us. Because what I think it could teach us might actually be the key that sets us free. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, take these words and make them yours. Help us to learn the power of your word. Not to hurry through it, but to be patient until you speak what you need us to hear. Come, Lord Jesus, in your grace, we pray. Amen.